The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, God bless you, Ecclesia. It is good to see all of you. It's fun to gather um, in the season of Lent as we prepare uh, for Easter. I'm curious how many of you are like me and you have failed even this week in some of what you chose to do in Lent. You've, you have failed in a real way. Just not as many as I anticipated. Some of you are just <laughs> crushing it. I just wanna remind you, Lent is not like the uh, spiritual Olympics. It's not about um, success or failure because um, the reality is it's just hard. I, I came home uh, from a beautiful trip that I'm gonna tell you about to the Colombia-Venezuela border. And, uh, and my oldest of my two, I have two teenage sons, which is another reason for you to pray for me. And, um, and the oldest of my teenage sons actually wanted to spend time with me. And so we went and we did a few things. We went to Home Depot and we went to the store and actually bought him clothes that he thought he would wear. And then he wanted to eat Mexican food, which was great normally for me, except I've given up fried things. Uh, during Lent, and, uh, and I forgot how compulsive it is, right? You can tell yourself, sit down, I'm not going to eat those. And at some point, your arm just goes automatically, right? So the waiter kept coming. We had to put the chips at the far end of the table where I could not reach them. And the waiter thought, like, what is wrong with these people? Nobody puts their chips where they're ready to fall off the table. Uh, but the good news is I did not give up queso. And, uh, <laughs> and dipping corn tortillas in queso is also delicious. So... Um, there are options no matter what you did uh, during Lent. And the, the gift of Lent for me, and I hope it has been for you, is that it continues to draw our focus back to ourselves. You're going to see it in the scripture today. We're really good at focusing on other people. I was traveling uh, a couple of years ago with some dear friends, friends that I know them well enough that I know their struggles, right? And I'm like, my friend's awesome, but he probably needs to lose a few pounds, you know? And uh, and we were traveling and I ran out of laundry. So at some point he's like, you could wear my pants. And I'm thinking, I can't wear your pants. They're way too big. We wear the exact same size pants. And uh, <laughs> just one of those moments where you're like, yeah, I need to lose weight as bad as he needs to lose weight, which I thought was really bad. And apparently now not, right? And, and spiritually, we're kind of the same. We can see it in other people. And sometimes we fail to see it in ourselves. And Lent's one of those seasons we pause and we go, God, what do you want to do in me? How can you humble me? How can you bring me along the path that you have for me? And as I deal with whatever in Lent for me, some of that is giving up food. Um, I've had some other beautiful things I've taken on in that season. But even just giving up the few things that are just normal uh, luxuries for me, we're so humbling this week. I'm going to tell you more about what happened on the Venezuela uh, border next week um, and today. Um, but I'll start with these uh, bolivars that are in your seat. So I think we've started to run out over the weekend, but most of you hopefully got two of these bills. These are 500 bolivar bills. I bought nine stacks of bolivars from the Cambio uh, there at the border. And um, in the heyday, those nine stacks of bills, it was fun coming back through the airport with nine huge stacks of currency. And um, at the heyday of these bills, uh, those stacks would have been worth about $600,000. And um, I bought them for just under $20. Um, the bills that you hold, one of these would have been worth about $125. Uh, today, it's worth about a half a penny. So between the two of them, you got a penny 
right here. Um, and that's going to explain a lot. In fact, it's going to be really convicting because Jesus is going to talk to you, not me. I'm going to read to you from Luke 12. Jesus is going to talk to you about whether you're investing in things that appreciate or depreciate. And part of what he's saying is this material stuff, it's fine, but just know it depreciates. It gets defaulted on. And uh, in the midst of that crisis, I've, I've got so many stories to tell you. You gathered up a lot of goods last week. Many of you did. Um, they asked for some very specific things for the churches in Venezuela. And we brought protein bars and baby formula. Uh, I'll tell you about uh, baby formula a little bit later, socks. The pastor uh, from Venezuela that heard what we were doing that came over to meet with me, his name's Pastor Wilfredo. He came over and uh, we got to spend the day together. His wife, Rocio, uh, was with him, and we started to load up the suitcases that you carry. I'm going to tell you no more next week about what it would look like if you want to go visit and serve. Uh, I just want to tell you in advance, one of the great things about going to visit and serve is that we can bring things in that you can't get on the ground. So if you have status with United, I just want to suggest that you're called to visit Cucuta. Um, because if you have status with United, you can bring in three bags that weigh 70 pounds a piece. That's 210 pounds, and that's a lot. And I thought, that's kind of nice. We're bringing protein bars, but they're protein bars, right? But there in Venezuela, it's impossible to get something that nutritious. Rocio, the pastor, uh, pastor's wife from Venezuela, she opened, before we carried the suitcases to the bridge, she opened one of the boxes and pulled out a cliff bar. And she started to eat this cliff bar and she started to just weep. Tears just flowing. I'm thinking, Rocio, it's a cliff bar, right? She said, it's so delicious. And I began to realize that my perspective and her perspective on the world were entirely different. That as she went back to a church that people were chronically malnourished, a cliff bar is the difference in some cases between life and death, between uh, health and sickness. It was huge for her. And so in that place, I began to realize that my small adjustments in Lent hopefully can focus me more on the stories that we're gonna to hear today. And so what I wanna do is just read to you the words of Jesus from Luke 12. And I'm hoping that this passage in Luke 12, um, you'll, you'll see it a bit differently in light of what's happening in Venezuela and in light of the opportunity that our church has uh, to be a blessing. This is how the passage starts in, in Luke 12, this particular uh, part of the story. In verse 13, Jesus is talking, and this is what he does a lot in Luke. He's been talking a lot about justice and generosity uh, and service and what it means to follow him. And, uh, and this person in the crowd is listening to him talk about generosity. And so he does what most of us do when we hear a good sermon. This person in the crowd got Jesus' attention. And this person says, teacher, rabbi, Will you intervene and tell my brother to share the family inheritance with me? What's he saying? He's going, hey, Jesus, this teaching on generosity is awesome for my brother. I really think my brother needs to hear your sermon on generosity, right? And I just want to warn you today, you're going to fall in the same camp. I'm going to fall in the same camp. We're going to instantly go, that would be really helpful for somebody else. And Jesus is talking to us today. Now, remember... Um, in Jesus' day, there was a Jewish tradition for inheritance. Anybody remember what that was? If you were the firstborn son, you would inherit double the share, right? So 
there's this interesting thing where you had to think through in this day, right? Is like, is the firstborn the best? Now, some of us that are firstborns, we think we kind of are, right? But it, 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 we have a similar perspective in our world today, right? The firstborn gets more, but this is what you need to know. That firstborn has more responsibility. That, that the father, the parents weren't blessing this firstborn with more to say, hey, you're our favorite, you're gonna get more. They were saying, hey, you're gonna be responsible for the family. You're gonna be responsible to share this. Have you ever thought about, as you look at all the world, and you look at the blessings and uh, the wealth that we share as Western people, the reality is, part of the passage you're gonna hear today, Jesus is talking to us because all of us have extra. Does anybody sit around and think like, God looked down and he's like, I like these Western people so much more, I'm gonna give them more than the rest of the people. Anybody think God thinks that? God looks down and he says, you know what? I'm gonna give you more responsibility, right? I love the, my favorite line and my favorite musical in Les Mis is from the bishop, right? And the bishop invites Jean Valjean into their home. And he says, though our lives are very humble, what we have, we have to share. He says, I'm gonna give you this. I'm gonna give you this so that you can be blessed to be the one who shares it. And to realize this is not for us. That was the responsibility of the firstborn. And so Jesus responds to this guy who wants Jesus to, um, to fix his brother. And he tells him, since when am I your judge or your arbitrator? Then he used that opportunity to speak to the crowd. And before he did what Jesus does, which is tell a story, he sets a thesis and a premise for it. And this is what he says. This is the thesis of Jesus teaching today. You'd, be, you'd better be on your guard against any type of greed. For a person's life is not about having a lot of possessions. That's the baseline of Jesus' teaching today. Now for us, you can go, well that sounds like Jesus, right? But the reality is we live in a world that I think most people, people go like, what's the, the big threat to Christianity in our world? Is it Islam, is it, what is it? And I would tell you, I think it's consumerism. I think most people view their place in the world that they're here to consume. I'm here to get as much stuff as I can get. That's the dominant religion in our culture. And, and Christianity tells a different story. It tells a story that says, we're not consumers. God made us in his image, which means in Genesis it tells us he made us in his image as co-creators. We're a part of his redemptive work in the world and we're called to act and respond in that way. And that's the way I want you to hear this passage today. So Jesus starts with this baseline. And this is what he's saying when he says that. He says, uh, life, and the word he uses for life is, um, is not, there's two words for life here in the Greek, right? One is just the, the same root word we get for biology. It's got this bio root word. The other is Zoe, and it's really the good life. What Jesus is saying here is the good life is not about accumulating stuff. So it's in that context Jesus picks up with a story. So try to imagine it like it's a great film. I love that so many of you are wearing Astros gear today, by the way. It just makes me happy to see. The baseball season is in. This is the holy season leading up to Easter. <laughs> so Jesus is telling a story. This is what he says. He says, there's this wealthy man 
and he owned some land that produced a huge harvest. This is what happened. He says, he, all of a sudden, just one year, the crop was good. It was really good. Maybe you've been in your business and you had a really good year. Uh, recently, I told you the story that I did, uh, I did a retreat for a bunch of Christian businessmen in Austin. And uh, they were awesome. We, and they put me up this really nice place at Horseshoe Bay. And we had fun. And we ate great food together. And almost every story of these Christian businessmen, uh, as they would tell me their story over the thing, they would tell me, we got to this, I got to this crisis, right? I hit this point and they, they would call it a liquidity event, right? Now, when you're talking to a pastor, a liquidity event means you peed your pants. That's what it means, right? <laughs> I don't know what a liquidity event looks like, but for them, what they're saying is, I hit this point and I had to cash in and I had more money than I knew what to do with. That's what's happening for this man. He said, I had this crop and it was so big, I didn't know what to do with all of it. So he thought to him, he often thought to himself, he said, I've got a problem. Now this is a good problem, but it's a problem. He said, I don't have anywhere to store all of my crops. What should I do? And this is what he concludes. He says, I know. I'll tear down my small barns and I'll build even bigger ones. This is the natural Western answer. If you get more stuff, what do you need to do? Add a wing onto the house, buy a bigger house. If you got more stuff, you need more space for your more stuff. And then I'll have plenty of storage space for my grain and all my other goods. And then I'll be able to say to myself, I've made it. I can relax and I can take it easy for years. So I'll just sit back, eat, drink, and have a good time. And then God interrupted the man's conversation with himself. Isn't that awful? You're trying to have a conversation with yourself and God interrupts you? <laughs> That's the kind of thing God does. And he says, excuse me, Mr. Brilliant. It always instantly just makes me not want to be Mr. Brilliant. It sounds to me like that guy on Shark Tank who gives himself uh, a nickname, right? If you gave yourself the nickname, especially that guy's, what's he, what's he? Mr. Wonderful, that's what he calls himself. You're not that wonderful if you have to call yourself Mr. Wonderful, right? So Mr. Brilliant, and I've already made it about somebody else. Have you seen that in the, in the sermon, right? I'm really quick to, it's what all of us do. He says, but your time has come. Tonight you will die, and now who will enjoy everything you've earned and saved? Then Jesus concludes, he says, this is how it will be for people who accumulate huge assets for themselves, but have no assets in relation to God. Now what's Jesus saying here? He, th this, this material world that we live in is not bad. So the things that you have, right, the bills that are worth something and the bills that aren't worth something, the things that you drink. I love coffee, right? I wanna buy it on a regular basis and drink it. The things that you have, this material world is not bad. What he's saying is don't invest only in the material world as if this is the only world. He said, and he's gonna explain it further later, if you invest in the immaterial world, you'll actually appreciate in ways that you can hardly fathom. It will pay off for you in other ways. Now, I want you to, and Jesus wants you to, save and invest in this material world. You ought to. I hope you take a Dave Ramsey course. I ho hope you sit down and go, what does it look like for me to have an emergency fund, to create some savings, to create some investments? But if you only focus on the material world, and that's all you have, it will leave you empty. So Jesus tells this story and people have to be thinking, you know, Jesus is right. 
And then he does what he would often do. He starts talking to the disciples, but he talks to the disciples in a way that he's inviting the rest of the crowd to listen. And this is what he says, and this is what I'd like for you to do. I'm gonna try to read this in my best um, Jesus-y voice, right? (laughs) And this is what I'd like you to do, is just hear it as though Jesus is saying it to you. As if Jesus is talking directly to you. And this is what Jesus said. He was talking to the disciples, but he was really talking to the crowd, and he was really talking to us. And if you're new to Ecclesia and the sound of babies, isn't isn't that a great sound? Like you go certain places, you go to the theater, you're not allowed to bring babies in. And uh, we just always think like, that's crazy because babies make life better. Have you ever been in a room with babies where people are being mean to each other, right? They're not. Like if you're holding a baby, if you're acting like a jerk with a baby in your arm, something's wrong with you, right? When you got a baby in your arm, you're like, I want to be nicer. I want to be kinder because babies are around. So we keep them around so people will be nice. (laughs) So Jesus is talking to you. We listen to him. This is what he says. He says, I keep telling you not to worry about anything in life, about what you'll eat, about how you'll clothe your body. Life is about more than food and the body is about more than clothes. Think about the crows flying over there. Do they plant and harvest crops? Do they own silos or barns? Look at them fly. It looks like God is taking pretty good care of them, doesn't it? Remember that you are more precious to God than birds. Which one of you can add a single hour to your life or inches to your height by worrying really hard? If worry can't change anything, why do you do it so much? Think about those beautiful wild lilies growing over there. They don't work up a sweat toiling for needs or wants. They don't worry about clothing, yet the great King Solomon never had an outfit that was half as glorious as theirs. Look at the grass growing over there. One day it's thriving in the fields, the next day it's being used as fuel. If God takes such good care of transient things, how much more you can depend on God to care for you? Weak in faith as you are, don't reduce your life to the pursuit of food and drink. Don't let your mind be filled with anxiety. People of the world who don't know God pursue these things, but you have a father caring for you, a father who knows all your needs. Since you don't need to worry about security and safety, about food and clothing, then Jesus says, this is what I want you to do. Pursue God's kingdom first and foremost. And these other things will come to you as well. Isn't Jesus teaching freeing? To realize that if you focus on things, you may or may not get things, but those things won't satisfy you anyway. And then he says, listen, I've already taken care of the things. If you'll focus on my kingdom, if you'll focus on my love and generosity, I'll take care of the rest. Part of what I love about this passage is this is what it tells us. We often want to think, I need to be generous so that God will bless me. I need to be generous because I feel guilty about how much stuff I have. 
I want, I want to be generous because I feel a bit manipulated by the circumstances around us. God says, be generous because you have faith. And when you have faith, you go, I'm taken care of. God's gonna take care of me. Now I get to be the one, I get to be the oldest brother who's been given more of the inheritance so that I get the privilege of sharing it. And one of my Lenten practices has been to give a gift every day. And I, I've never done exactly that for 40 days. And I gotta tell you, Ecclesia, I, I, I would love for all of us to do it next Lent. Maybe we can do it before then. It's been the most fun I've had every day thinking about what gift can I give to someone? I anticipate it, I get to start thinking about it. I've gotten to give some really fun gifts that surprise people. And I'm telling you, giving, giving is so rewarding. It's such a beautiful opportunity. So Jesus says, focus on faith and you'll be ready and want to give. And then he has this last section I wanna to read to you and then I'm gonna tell you some stories of what I've seen this week and invite you to consider the ways that we need to respond. This is what Jesus says. He says, my little flock, don't be afraid. God's your father and your father's great joy is to give you his kingdom. And that means you can sell your possessions and give generally to the, generously to the poor. You can have a different kind of savings plan one that never depreciates and one that never defaults. He's saying if you chase after these things, right? They were people that had a bunch of these and they thought they had it figured out and all of a sudden they woke up one day and they were worthless. He says when we invest in the things that are eternal, it never depreciates. One that never defaults, one that can never be plundered by crooks or destroyed by natural calamities. Your treasure will be stored in the heavens. And since your treasure is there, your heart will be lodged there as well. When we turn our focus in that direction, that becomes the thing that gives us great joy. And then he explains this. He says, I'm not talking theory. There is urgency in all of this. That's part of what I'm gonna tell you about today is the urgency. He says, if you're apathetic and complacent, we're not focused on others. You'll miss the moment of opportunity. That's my great prayer for us as a church is that we'd be a people that stand ready so that when God gives us that opportunity, I've been telling you for a year and a half, we've been praying for Venezuela. People ask me, what do I do? And I go, I don't know. We got to fly a few people out to Argentina. We've had a few small things we could do. We just haven't had the opportunity. Then a few weeks ago, I preached a sermon and I told you the thesis of the sermon was this. Anybody remember the thesis of the sermon? It was this. The spiritual life is the life where you say yes to Jesus before you know the question he's asking of you. Anybody remember that sermon, one or two people? Good. Only three or four, thank you. <laughs> it's the most rewarding job on the planet. You can't preach a sermon like that unless you're ready to do it, right? And I've been saying for a couple of years, when we find a chance to serve in Venezuela, we're gonna do it. And then I went to Mexico and I preached at a church in Mexico and the church there said, well, we have a guy on the ground at the border of Venezuela and he needs a lot of help. Would you go? You don't get to preach a sermon that says the answer is yes before you get the question unless you're ready to go, right? So I said, yes. And so this week I flew out and, um, and flew to a little town in Colombia called Cucuta. And, uh, and in Cucuta, you're very close to the, the primary border uh, that most people are getting in and out of uh, from Venezuela to Colombia. Brazil has basically shut down their border. There are very few ways in and out of Venezuela uh, at, this, at this point. And, uh, and on that journey, just said, God, 
how are we to respond as a church? And I want to tell you a little bit about what I think God uh, was saying to us. Let me finish this passage and then I'll tell you. He says, this is what he says, verse 36. You should be wide awake. He said, be ready to give. On your toes like servants who are waiting for their master return from a big wedding reception. This is the way that Jesus explains it in the Bible. He says, I'm going to show up to you. I'm just going to show up in the form of someone who's thirsty, someone who's hungry, someone who's in need. That's how I'm going to show up to you. And so the scriptures tell us, if you want to encounter Jesus, look for the person who's hungry, who's thirsty, who's in need. Now, we don't have to look far in our backyard in Latin America. We have a nation filled with people that are hungry and thirsty and in need. And that means they're Jesus. And we're supposed to be the ones, he says, waiting, waiting for Jesus to arrive. He says they'll have their shoes on and their lamps lit so they can open the door for him as soon as he arrives. They're going to be ready to receive him and help and serve. So let me tell you what I saw this week and ask you to begin a week. This is what I'd like you to do with me this week. Pray. Um, ask God to reveal to you how you can be a part of what God wants to do through our church as we serve. I've given you two bills for a reason. One, I would like you just to put on your bathroom counter, your desk, someplace that you can look and you'll think to pray for our Venezuelan brothers and sisters. Another, that you can give uh, to a friend, a coworker, or a neighbor who may be Venezuelan or Colombian who, uh, who wants to respond in some meaningful ways. And next week, I'm gonna give you some very tangible ways that we can do this work together. So let me tell you a few stories that will give you some understanding of what God has placed before us. Uh, this is one of uh, the most beautiful babies uh, that I've met. This little boy's name is Jorge Alberto. Um, part of what happened to Jorge is what's similar to happen to a lot of kids in Venezuela. When they run out of food, they start combining things to eat anything, and some of it is not food. Uh, someone in his little town uh, mixed powdered milk uh, with several things, and one of the things that was mixed into it was lye. Uh, lye is poison. It's not something you should drink. And it's caused massive liver failure for Jorge. Um, Jorge's mom had to flee Venezuela to try to find medical care, and so they were at the clinic of the church that we're partnered with uh, there in Cucuta. Um, if you can imagine, Jorge's mother has spent her life working as a dentist. Uh, they're professionals. Her, hu her husband, Jorge's father, is a graphic designer. Uh, they lived in a beautiful four-bedroom house. Um, they walked out of that four-bedroom house and they sold the house uh, for $700. The whole house, beautiful house, to take that $700 to try to go seek medical care for Jorge. Gratefully, uh, we had some folks coming from the States that are working to bring the medicine that he needs for his liver that we hope, the, the doctors say he will likely have to take it all of his life, but we're hoping that this medicine will prevent liver failure. Will you pray for his family? Will you pray for the medicine to work and for him to start to heal quickly? Um, this is Alexandria. This is a story I wanted to tell you with like this big, beautiful climax and it was gonna be beautiful. I met Alexandria uh, because she needed to, I probably didn't. It was really hot while we were there. We threw a big party. I'm gonna tell you all about that party next week. Uh, but it would get really hot and there was one fan and I would go stand next to the fan, which is where Alexandria was. And I talked to Alexandria a lot about her rehab and pain. You can see she's got quite uh, a, a mechanism there on her leg. It's got multiple rods that go through in multiple places. And um, she doesn't get to just rest and sit in the way that she probably needs to because everybody has to travel just to find 
basic necessities like toilet paper, any kind of food. A lot of dust blown around and her leg has, because of these open wounds, has become infected. Um, she didn't even tell me. The doctor said, you spent a lot of time with Alexandria. Did she tell you? Said, no, she didn't. Um, Alexandria has this infection and the antibi antibiotics aren't working. And uh, at this point, the doctors are close to having to amputate her leg because they can't get her the infectious uh, disease um, work that she really needs that she could get in a major hospital. We started working to figure out something and we found out, found a plan to, to fly her to Argentina. We had a ticket purchase to get her to Argentina yesterday. She knew we were working on this. And what we finally figured out as we got to immigration uh, was that uh, she knew that this was probably her only hope. And her ID and passport, like many Venezuelans, has been expired. The government's been shut down. You can't renew it. So the ID that she showed us that uh, was not expired was a forged ID. And so we got to immigration and she couldn't board the plane to fly to Argentina. In fact, she became really ashamed. The pastor that was working with her became really ashamed uh, that she had forged this thing. We tried to tell her like, don't be ashamed. You're tr we're trying to save your leg. Like we would have bought you a better forged ID if we would have known, right? We're like, <laughs> like this is, you know. We're trying to save her leg and her life here. This is not. And so this is what I want you to pray for Alexandria. We, we're really hoping yesterday, I was hoping, like, I'm going to tell you this story. And here's her photo. Our, our friend, Pastor Marcelo, had set up an infectious disease hospital in Argentina. We we're going to take her right to it. She's going to start getting the antibiotics she needs to save her leg and her life. And uh, right now, we're trying to figure out, can some hospital in Cucuta come up with something to get the antibiotics that she needs? And so I want you to pray. We're trying to get her a first couple of treatments and we're working in every way we can to expedite uh, some way to get her a valid identification so she can travel to get quality medical care, which is what she desperately needs. This is baby Beto. Um, Beto was uh, one of the babies at the mom as she was trying to get the medicine shortage. She, she's like, who's this gringo? Take my baby, right? And... Uh, hold him so I can get all my stuff together and carry it. And uh, I knew he was a beautiful baby. I knew he was a bit sick, but when I put him on me, it's over a hundred degrees there, it was really hot. And when you got a baby on you that's 103 or 104 degrees, it feels like you got a furnace on you. Now, I don't know if you can think back to a time that your baby or your kid had a fever and how desperate it felt and all the resources that you had at your disposal. Gratefully, with some Tylenol, his fever started to come down. But as you think about little baby Beto, I'd be just, just holding him was enough that I just thought, if every Ecclesian could hold this baby, um, we would do anything we could to help our brothers and sisters. Pray for Beto and so many other little kids um, like him. I want to introduce you to two pastors. Uh, this is Pastor Maurizio. Um, you can tell from the photo we like each other. Um, I, I think this guy is one of the most amazing pastors I've ever met. Mauricio pastors uh, a beautiful little church in the downtown area of Cucuta. Uh, they named the church 20 years ago. They started about the time Ecclesia started. And they named the church Frontera Church, Border Church, right? And he had no idea when he did it that what it would mean, right? 20 years ago, to be at that border, Colombians were going into Venezuela to get work and money and resources. Now the, the tables have turned. And uh, I love Maurizio because he said uh, they rented out this building, the building that you can see around us, the building we threw a big party in. You're going to hear all about it next week. And, uh, and I asked him, Maurizio, how did you do that? He goes, 
I, we didn't have the money, we just had the faith, right? And, uh, and I said instantly, like, that's the kind of thing we want to do. And so uh, one of the things our church wants to do is we want to cover the, the costs of that building for them. It's right on the border. We think it's really important. There is also no air condition in that building. We built out a water filtration system where people can come and get filtered water. Um, we want to air condition that building. So if you're waiting to see a doctor, you're not in 100 degree heat. We just think that it'd be better if you're waiting uh, that you could cool down a bit and would be safer for people to be able to do that. Those are some of the investments that we want to make. And we're going to put the baskets back out at communion. So if you say, hey, I want to be a part, I want to lean in, that you get the opportunity uh, to do that. And lastly, so this is Pastor Wilfredo. I told you about his wife, Rocio, and how much she loved Cliff Bars, right? She's like, that is amazing. Uh, Wilfredo came because he heard what we were doing on this side of the border. And... Um, and I wanted to share a hamburger with Wilfredo as we sat down and started to make a plan. Now you need to know, uh, we had pure Ecclesia luck. We fell into this, we we're like, we just, I just said, find somebody that can help us grill. And we fell into, in true Ecclesia style, the best chefs in Cucuta. Um, these guys, they grilled 4,000 burgers, handmade with all kinds of herbs and spices that they hand meshed into it. And you'd eat that burger and you'd be like, that's one of the best burgers I've ever had in my life. Now, I thought it was amazing as it was. Um, Wilfredo didn't want to eat our burger. And I kept going, Wilfredo, it's really good. I want you to taste it, right? And finally, he just, I, I kept pushing him. And finally, he just said to me, I don't want to take a burger from a Venezuelan that could get a burger. You don't understand, Pastor. I don't know any Venezuelans that have eaten a hamburger in the last two years. Like a hamburger. That just to have meat is such a luxury. I insisted that he eat a burger with me and reminded him, we're feeding, four, we got 4,000 of them. But for us, from our perspective, it's really hard to imagine a world that a hamburger is such a luxury item. Um, I, I went out with Wilfredo as we, we had, there was one baby waiting in line. And these few little things we bought, I thought they're nice, right? And this baby wouldn't stop crying and you could tell everybody around was a little annoyed. First, I tried to bring this baby. We had like a custardy dessert. They brought the dessert to the ba baby, didn't like it. I brought out a bottle of formula and just carefully, quietly gave it to the mom because I didn't have enough for every mom in line. And this big thing of formula, this baby, you know, when you, she, she took a drink and then she just started to chug this formula. And this look in her eyes was clearly like, I, my body needs this. And so Ecclesia, this is one of those times that I look at us and I just go, hey, as a church, we're ready to do this. We're able to do this. We're able to serve. We're gonna roll out for you a lot of the details and logistics of what we think that looks like over the next week. But in true like Hurricane Harvey fashion, I wanna be a church that stands up and moves and responds where we see a need and where we see an opportunity. Now for many of us, we hear anything else we need to do and we get overwhelmed because we go, I'm kinda already tired, I'm already worn out, there's already so much to do. But I wanna remind you of the words of Jesus. This is what Jesus says to us in Matthew 11. And I think if you don't understand this particular text, you won't understand Christianity. This is what Jesus says. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And I don't think there's one of us that didn't go, I'm, I'm weary and burdened. I'm tired. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you rest. Now, we hear that passage, right? And um, we hear that passage, and we actually go like, that's exactly what I need. 
I need rest. Do you hear they opened up a nap room on Upper Kirby? You can go over. Literally, it's like $20 a minute. Everything on Upper Kirby is expensive, right? <laughs> Literally, just to sleep there. It's a privilege just to walk on Upper Kirby these days. But you can go pay and you can take a nap, right? And all of us are like, I'm tired, I need a nap. And Jesus says, you're tired, I'll give you rest, but this is what rest looks like for Jesus. Put my yoke upon your shoulders. And we're not used to yokes, but you know, those are the big things you put on an ox and you start to pull. You start to wonder like, Jesus, are you talking about two different things? Because you just said rest and then you said yoke and those two don't go together. But Ecclesia, I gotta tell you, this is what Jesus is teaching and this is what I've found to be true. That we're at our best when we're doing the work we're supposed to do. I don't believe that we're all tired and worn out because we're doing too much. I believe we're tired and worn out because we're doing too much of the wrong thing. We're not doing the thing we're made for. Now people all week have been asking me like, you flew two red eyes and I came back and the world was moving 100 miles an hour on Friday, landed at 5.30 a.m. and it just didn't stop. He's like, aren't you exhausted? I go, yeah, I'm tired. But I'm energized in a way because I'm doing the thing I'm made to do. Anybody remember that feeling at a point in your life where you go, I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And so all of a sudden, it's like you tap into a reserve energy you didn't know you had and you kick into another gear. That's the kind of thing we're gonna do together as a church. That's what we're gonna talk about next week. And Jesus goes on, right? He says, put my yoke upon your shoulders. It might appear heavy at first, we might look at this thing and go, hey, that's too much. We're going to pay for the air conditioning and we're going to pay for the building. We're going to bring in food. We're going to bring in grills. We're going to throw more of these parties. What are we, what's that going to look like? I don't know, but I know we're made for it. It's perfectly fitted to your curves. Literally, he says, you're made to do it. You've got what you need to do it, right? If you, if you can fly in, not all of us can fly in. Some of you are going to pray. Some of us are going to give. Some of us are going to give some of our miles to somebody else in our small group who can go. He says, learn from me for I am gentle and I'm humble of heart. And when you are yoked to me, your weary souls will find rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is what you'll find in that place. Same thing I did. I had this beautiful Venezuelan grandmother. We brought this cumbia band in and uh, you should have seen them when they played Despacito. People went. <laughs> That's like the universal song. Everybody wants to dance to Despacito. And this Venezuelan grand grandmother grabs me to dance with me. And I'm thinking, this dear woman has come so far so that she could load up toilet paper and flour and the basics to bring back to her home. And she, she dances with such joy and with a smile. And it puts everything in my life in perspective. And it would do the same for you, whether you go or whether we experience the stories together as a church. So this is what I want to do. I want to invite you to pray. The offering was already passed, but if you say, hey, I, I, want to, I want to lean in. I want to be a part of our church doing something big here. The baskets will be out at communion and you can add to that gift and say, God, I want to be a part of a church that does something remarkable for our brothers and sisters in need. And then next week, I want to ask you to come back to bring a friend so that we can begin to plan and orchestrate together what it looks like to really be the church that cares for our brothers and sisters in all places and all times. Would you bow with me? Lord God, I thank you. I thank you for the joy that we receive in being the people you made us to be. 
I thank you, God, that you don't tell us that the, this material world is bad. In fact, it's good. It's just that we don't want to invest only in this material world. We want to see the immaterial world, which is the one that we'll appreciate in ways that we can hardly fathom. That when we invest in that, we receive a reward that goes far beyond what we could dream. And so today, God, we pray for little Jorge Alberto. We pray for Alexandria. We pray that she would get just the medical care she needs to save her leg. Lord, we pray that any shame that she feels for trying to find a way through this difficult and challenging problem, that she'd be released from it, that she'd know she's loved by our church and so many others. God, we pray that we could find our purpose as we begin to serve and give and that our generosity would come not out of guilt or sorrow or manipulation, that it would flow from faith. That like we read in Luke 12, that we'd see that you've given us all that we need, that you care for the birds of the air and how much more you care for us. And so surely, like the oldest son who's given more of the inheritance, you've given us a bit more, which only means we have more responsibility, more responsibility to share with those in need because what we have is ours to share. And so God, we thank you for the opportunity to be your vessels of these unique gifts. Today we ask you to bless this bread. We believe that it's a physical reminder to us that though we were in need and you were in heaven far away in comfort, you drew near to us. And so over the coming weeks and months and even years, we want to draw near to our brothers and sisters who are also in need. We thank you for this cup, for this wine and juice. We pray today that you would richly bless it. We pray all of this together as a family, and we pray it in your name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.